Hello friends and welcome back to Music Therapy and Beyond. This is Kristen again with you today to start off the month of April with a very dear friend of mine and a very rich conversation all about the principles and the heart of play for all ages. So if you are not an individual who works with young children or children of it, it doesn't matter. There is so much um, rich content in our conversation today that's going to be helpful for the entire lifespan. So stick around. I hope you enjoy it. But before we jump to that conversation, I want to remind listeners of two things. One, we launched a free product a few weeks ago for our email subscribers, including six different chants to be used in just about any setting by almost anyone. I know that sounds insane, but there's so much content and richness in this packet. It's for music therapists, OTs, PTs, SLPs, counselors, educators, parents, and caregivers, even for yourself. There are so many ways that any of you can use the content in this packet. So I encourage you to head over to our website, sign up for our email list, and grab that freebie so you can start using those six chants. Number two, we have an anonymous survey, and it's going to be linked in the show notes wherever it is that you listen. And it helps us understand and know what it is that you want to listen to, what it is that's helpful, what is it that we're presenting that's not helpful. Thank you so much in advance for taking the time um, after this episode or when you get back to your phone or your computer and provide us just a little feedback so we can provide content each week that is helpful and um, inspiring for you. Now, on to the episode. are in for a treat today. Our guest is Kate Weir. She's a dear friend and colleague. She has over 18 years of experience working in the counseling profession with children, teens, young adults, and families. Kate received both her master's and educational specialist degree from the University of Missouri, Columbia. Her master's degree is in counseling psychology with an emphasis in community agency counseling. Kate is certified as a licensed professional counselor and supervisor and a professional school counselor for grades K through 12. She is also a registered play therapist and registered play therapist supervisor. Kate, in addition to all of these, is education is the owner of Kindred Collective. It's a community of mental health and wellness practitioners, healing artists, educators, and consultants. Kate also teaches for Stevens College and Heartland Play Therapy and is a licensed supervisor for counselors and play therapists in training in the state of Missouri. She's the real deal, and I can't wait for you to meet her and to learn from her wealth of knowledge. So let's meet Kate. All righty, here we go. Here we go. Thank you so much for being here. We have just been like chatting before we even got started. We have our matching mugs that are ready to go. And (laughs) I'm excited just to get started and have you like meet everybody and everybody meet you on Music Therapy and Beyond. So Kate, welcome to Music Therapy Beyond officially. Thank you. I'm so excited that you're here, dear friend. I'm thrilled. I've been looking forward to this so much. It's two of my favorite things, chatting with you and play therapy. I know. Mine too. Like, I'm just, I've been so excited about this. So we always start with our guest podcasts as asking, where did you come from? What is your background? How did you come to be where you are today? What were you like as a child? And and what kind of turns did your life take to get you to play therapy and, and all the wonderful work you're doing today? I love that question. I love that question because I love thinking about my childhood and I love reflecting on this journey. Um, And I think that it's an especially appropriate question for a play therapist um, to think about childhood, right? And so I certainly, a big part of who I am comes straight from my childhood and a big part of my passion for play um, and just the beauty that I see in play 
comes from my childhood. Um, I grew up with two siblings and my youngest sibling is only three years younger than me. And we grew up side by side um, playing together. And my mom was an early childhood educator and a kindergarten teacher and just a fierce protector of play. Um, so when I look back on my childhood, it was filled with make-believe. It was filled with open-ended time to play. It was filled with invitations to create and invitations to imagine. And um, I kind of thought that's what childhood was like for everybody, right? You only, you only know what you know. Um, but as I grew and I became older, I recognized that it was an incredibly special and almost um, enchanting childhood. Um, and so, so many of the things that I hold dear about my, my skills and, and my personality and the way that I am in the world and who I am in the world, I think comes from these rich beginnings in play. Oh, that's so beautiful. And it makes so much sense where, how you would end up um, being here. So, yeah. so that was you as a child. So how did you get into play therapist did you know that that's something you always wanted to do or how did you how did you come to this field of being a counselor and being a school counselor as well (laughs) I know it's so many twists and turns um I think so when I look back um on my childhood I did have this like this magical um enchanting childhood in so many ways but it was also um, a lot of painful things happened um, within my family when I was a child. Um, when I was about between my fifth grade year and my sixth grade year, um, my parents got a divorce. My grandmother died of cancer and my uncle died of cancer. It was just kind of boom, boom, boom. My first big losses, all of this happened in my fifth and my sixth grade years. Um, and it was my school counselor who really took me under her wing. I had tons of family support, but she really looked out for me at school and she invited me into her office. And it was a place where I could feel my feelings, like a place where I could be sad and a place where I could talk about the hard stuff. Um, And it was so important that I knew right then that I wanted to help children in a similar way. I wanted to create a similar wing for children to crawl under when they were hurting. Um, So that was really my first inspiration. Um, So I knew I wanted to work with kids. I majored in elementary education. I come from a long line of educators and um, and changed about halfway through to human development and family studies um, because it started to feel like I really would enjoy teaching, but I also really wanted to be able to pour into individual children who might be struggling rather than casting my net of care um, across an entire classroom. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So I thought, gosh, well, how can I, how can I start learning about humans and how to best help them? Because we're all so different, but the thing that we have in common is that we're humans and being a human is hard. Um, so I majored in human development and family studies and then I got my master's in counseling um, and worked in community agency counseling for a few years. And then, then I decided that I missed the schools and I wanted to go back to the schools as a counselor. Um, so I went back to graduate school and got another master's degree that would allow me to be and I know all the so, <laughs> all so the much school, so much learning, and I loved it. I loved, loved to learn. Um, so yeah, and then that's how I ended up as an elementary school counselor, and I did that for a long time. It was the first, you know, long major chapter um, in my career story, and I mm-hmm. I loved it in in so many ways. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But about, you know, a few years before kind of that chapter closed, I discovered play therapy and um, I started working towards becoming a play therapist. So my last few years in the schools, I was under supervision in order to get my um, my licensed professional counselor certification and my registered play therapist certification. And when you, and to become a registered play therapist, you have to get a lot of continuing education. I was certain it's the same um, Mm -hmm. in music therapy. 
So while I was working with kiddos in the schools, I was also working towards 150 hours of continuing education, Mm -hmm. which means, and I wanted to do it as quickly as possible because I wanted to learn it all so I could put it to use and, and become a registered play therapist. So I was in a continuous training mode for several years. Um, so I was just immersed in it. I was just saturated in it. And I loved it so very much. And I started, I had a very supportive principal who believed strongly in mental health um, support in the schools. So with some of my kiddos, I know it's so huge because we can't be learners, right? Unless right. we're unless we're regulated and yeah, right. Um, so she she gave me so much support. I turned my school counseling office into a playroom. Um, some of the kiddos that I worked with in the school setting, I used play um, and it just, you know, busted my heart open wide to the magic of it. And um, school counseling um, has my heart in so many ways. And it's a profession where you get to engage in an incredible variety of activities and job responsibilities. And I reached the point where I wanted to do play therapy all the time because I saw it being so potent. I saw it being so powerful. And that's how I wanted to use my heart to help children. So that ultimately led to shifting out of the schools and into private practice. And here I am. I know. And that's how I know you. I've, I didn't know you when you were yeah. in the schools. So no. tell us um, what that transition was like from you out of the schools and into private practice yeah. and mm. a little bit more about what you're doing now. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question because one kind of segues into the other. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first left the schools, I was in pretty traditional private practice. Um, And I also became pregnant with my son at the time. And so he was, it was all, all, all the exciting things. Um, And such a blessing because when he, all of it, all of it at the same time, and such a blessing because when he was born, I was able to be so flexible and really prioritize time with him um, versus being on a school schedule. Um, so I spent a few years doing solo private practice and it was a beautiful situation, um, for that time of pregnancy and newborn and infant to really be pouring most of me into my family and very independently do a little bit of private practice. My Sam grew and my private practice grew and I started spending more time back at work. I missed the school community. I missed being a member of a community. I missed having other professionals to collaborate with and brainstorm with and surround children with um, together. Mm-hmm. And so that missing, that longing for community um, is what led to the development of Kindred Collective. Um, so that's that's where I am, that's where I am now. Um, along with my husband, Rob, I'm the owner and director of Kindred Collective. Um, and we are a bunch of independent practitioners who share community and sometimes share space and share resources, share continuing education with one another, share referrals, um, share brainstorming. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a really beautiful thing. So it's a, we're a community, we're an interesting thing. We're a community of independent practitioners um, who sort of do professional life together while at the same time maintaining all the beautiful freedom of um, being independent, um, which is one of the values that I think many people who go into private practice share that value of Mm -hmm. of freedom and being able to um, prioritize our our values and our time and our schedules the way that it feels good for us to do. So, yeah. yeah, and that's how I met you, which I is know. like the happiest part of this story. <laughs> it is such a happy part of this story. And yeah. uh, so just for listeners, Giving Song is a member of Kindred. And so our whole team, even though we have employees and we are a pretty traditional private practice um, with the supervision and all the things that go along with that, we as a team are part of Kindred Collective. And so we are a little bit of a different um whereas most members of Kindred are independent clinicians. And uh, just it, I can speak and, to the attest, and attest to the beautiful community that is Kindred because we do share so much and we just, it's just really an opportunity, just like you said, to wrap 
um, our clients in just everything that they need. Yes. Like if they need yes. music or if they need art or if they need a combination of both, if they need play therapy, if they just, you know, there's this really beautiful combination yes. of, of healers in this collective. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Agreed. And getting to is such a beautiful and rich and important part of that. Mm-hmm. And I think the community piece of it is so good for our clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so good for us because um, being practitioners can be hard and we need, we need support too. Yep. Support, education, and we should have a whole podcast just on Kindred Collective because it really, you have built something really, really beautiful. So let's segue now. So we have a little, we have a a good background of of how you came to be a music, uh, a play therapist, not a music therapist, a play (laughs) therapist. But, you know, as music therapists, we are asked all the time, what is music therapy? In fact, I mean, we have even experiences and projects within our curriculum to kind of explore this topic where we kind of practice even our, what we call our elevator pitch. So we can (laughs) kind of um, be able to A, communicate what music therapy is, but also to really identify for us what music therapy is. And um, so I just wonder if the, if you have that similar situation with play therapy of what is play therapy and and really maybe even further how do you define play therapy as we really kind of start talking today about play how do you how do you define it i love that question and we get that question endlessly i was smiling when you said elevator pitch because uh, that's something i like to have my students and supervisees practice is what's what's your elevator pitch you know if you have 20 seconds you know um to tell someone what play therapy is and and what you do and how you do it what what do you say um so yeah there's definitely you know a clinical definition of play therapy um but what i i i like to say i have a super speedy um short sentence and then a bit of a longer one that is just sort of um how my brain and how my heart define play therapy the super speedy one is just as adults go to talk therapy sometimes kiddos go to play therapy and in play therapy um play is their language and toys are their words um so that's my super speedy one um we know that kiddos their natural language is play. that is the play that is more or the language that is most comfortable to them that they are most fluent in um now i'm going away from my elevator pitch but we like to let them use their natural language a longer one a longer definition that i like to use is that play therapy is a way for kiddos to express themselves gain skills and gain healing through play and through relationship with the play therapist because it really is about the two components it's the relationship between the play therapist and the kiddo um, and it's the process of the kiddo having the opportunity to play Hmm. I love that so much and oh I just love that so much that's just so beautiful and I think you we can see your heart through what you do i can already see it but can you explain to us sort of what the heart of play therapy is and and really what drew you specifically to play therapy like the really the heart of absolutely oh my gosh absolutely so to me the heart of play therapy um we call them the four healing messages there are four healing messages that and this is that the therapist is in charge of communicating to the child not verbally necessarily but through their presence through their through the relationship and through the way they respond to children um and those four healing messages are i'm here so i'm fully present i hear you i understand and i care so i'm here i hear you i understand and i care um, yeah, so that I'm, I'm here is I'm fully present. My attention is not divided in this moment. There is nothing more important to me, um, than you and, and you and I together in this very moment. Um, I hear you is I'm really listening. My attention is not divided. I'm not multitasking. I'm not halfway listening. I am really listening so deeply that I can hear you. 
And I understand we communicate that in the way that we reflect to children. Um, you know, I really am trying to dive into their experience and give empathic reflections. Mm-hmm. Um, and I care is, you know, this matters to me. You matter to me. This moment matters to me. Your story matters to me. Um, so, yeah, it's just like it gives me goosebumps when I talk about it because me what too. human what human doesn't need those four messages right yeah and they're so rare i mean it sounds very simple but it's so rare rare to be receiving that type of presence um and attention and concern from another human um at any given moment nonetheless 30 minutes or 45 minutes it's very beautiful and very healing um in terms of what drew me to it you know, I shared with you that um, I really started practicing play, using play in my counseling at um, elementary school. In the elementary school that I was at um, at the time had a huge influx in their population of refugees, refugee children um, who had just moved to Colombia, just yes. come to the United States. Um, and we were, you know, and these children and their families not only were in a brand new country, they had fled very traumatizing war zone experiences, witnessing violence, losing family members, adjusting to being in a new place, um, all the things. And immediately I wanted to support in any way that I could. And there was an incredible language barrier between us because um, our refugee students had not yet um, had the opportunity to start learning and practicing English. Um, And they they came to school nonetheless. You know, they, as soon as they got here, they started coming to school and they started learning English at the same time. Um, And I found that our language barrier was not a barrier at all. Um, When they came into my school counselor office turned playroom um, and that the language of play is universal. Um, I saw them, I saw them, healing themselves through play with them being them and their play being the primary healer and i just holding really beautiful space for them to do that they didn't need my words they didn't need me to teach them anything they just needed the space and they needed the relationship and they needed the opportunity to process through their play um so that was a that was a huge game changer and i think the other thing that i always come back to with play is that um, sometimes there's just not words, you know, even as adults, even as, you know, highly educated, highly verbal adults, sometimes we experience something that is so traumatizing or so painful or so devastating that there are literally no words. You know, people might say, I'm here if you want to talk and you think, what is there to say? There are no words in our language that capture what I'm going through. And in moments like that, it's not talk that we need um it's presence it's loving presence it's somebody who will sit with you through the hard and not expect you to be any different than you are or it's you know the opportunity to make music or create art or play or move your body process your emotions and your experiences through your body sometimes there's just not words and i think that there's such a place you know Kristen, you you share this um for our expressive therapies that are not language-based and we could go off on a whole neuroscience tangent about how <laughs> those aren't even the same places of the brain we'll do that today, but yes we can yes we could and we should in another podcast <laughs> we should we should yes yeah oh my goodness. that's why i love play oh, well uh, i definitely see a lot of i'm trying to like figure out where we're going to go from here because we could go in so many different places um because i see so much connection between yes. play and music therapy and just like yes. the heart of what we do and that's why yes. you and i just we could literally and do could sit and talk about this soul sisters we could sit and talk about this especially the neuro aspect for like literally hours but we could and i love what you were talking about the absolutely days um universal language of play and so um you also mentioned you know i think most uh people who hear about play therapy think oh yeah that's a really great therapy for kids but do you work with adults and yes. what does that look like? If you could kind of yes. just give us a little insight yeah. into kind of what 
what maybe the differences are, what, what kind of it looks like if we were to work with an adult or an older individual with that? For sure, yes. So this is, I would love to share about this because um, play therapy really is for our full um, human age range for lifespan. Um, and, you know, working with adults, I just, I will say is not my area of expertise because I specialize in children. Um, but for some people, it really is. Um, so play can be, particularly when we're looking at young adults or adults, um, you know, for somebody who has experienced something incredibly traumatic, um, we know that words aren't going to necessarily cut it. So sand tray, using sand tray therapy can be incredibly um, healing um, for any age, particularly adults. I think many people who do play therapy with adults um, really lean into sand tray. And this is where you build your world in the sand using sand figurines. Um, and the, the figurines are in the sandbox or in the sand tray are symbols. Um, they're representative symbols um, that you can arrange and rearrange and tell your story and make discoveries about, um, you know, oftentimes when we use symbols, our subconscious material um, comes to the surface and it's quite fascinating and, and quite healing. Um, adults who've had traumatic brain injury, I know this is a population that we work with as well, can mm -hmm. really, really benefit um, from play. And this might even look more like traditional play therapy, what you think of with younger children. Um, Senior citizens, the elderly, um, benefit from play so magnificently. Um, sometimes there is a deteriorating capacity to access their, their verbal skills. Um, it's also a time of life we know developmentally, just from, if we look at human development, they're taking stock of things, they're making meaning of their life, they're thinking about legacy and, and passing along memories and lessons and tales. And um, it's so beautiful to do that through Santry, through play. Um, and then also the interactive play, you know, playing with elderly, you know, um, playing with balloons and, and rolling balls and um, doing things like that, blowing bubbles is, is so, so delightful. Um, sometimes they're having far fewer opportunities to interact and experience, you know, um, yeah, just social interaction. The other thing is, is that play in general, like even if we step aside from play therapy, if we just look at play, just play no yeah. play, it is incredibly beneficial for adults of all ages. Like our brains love play, like when we engage in true play and true play, just as a side note, um, true play, the characteristics of true play are that it is um, spontaneous and it is pleasurable so you're enjoying what you're doing and it is non-directed um so there's you, you know it, you kind of um just get taken away in the flow of the moment but anyway I mean just couples playing together families playing together parents and children playing together um it's it's so good for our mental health and we can even work we can even work with babies. Um, I know you guys do age range too. I mean, lifespan too. Um, we can work with babies. We work with all ages. Mm. I just have so much love for all of this because, and my my mind is just going crazy to the neuro aspect because you said yes. it must be play, must be pleasurable, and that's one thing. Yes. That even just a few episodes ago, we talked really about how. Um, our bodies, well, even just this last um, episode, which our brains have to be attending and they have to be, yes. it has to be enjoyable. And that like sets up this really yes. beautiful connection in our brain with that dopamine pleasure release yes. to learn. And I just think how beneficial, and I just haven't even really thought about that in older yeah. adults, how wonderful yeah. that could be for their brain. Because even if in music therapy, we're always trying to do playful things in different yes. aspects of of what we do simply because um, it's creating new networks and it's building, um, it's exploring areas of their brain maybe that they haven't been able to use for a while or they haven't been directed to yes. use in a while. And so that could be so beneficial for helping delay. I don't, I mean, I don't have any research behind this, obviously. I'm going to have to now right. completely 
look for that because I'm just going to, it's just going to be like, uh, I'm going to want to learn so much about it now. But I just wonder how, how that actually would look in the brains of, of um, older adults who are engaging in play and, and what that would look like for like deterioration of the brain and all of like the, just the, you know, to, to help stop aging. Like I'm just thinking yes. like some of the aging effects that happened in our brain. I'm thinking of those that um, have dementia and other, um, yes. other uh, diagnoses of the like. And so I'm just yeah. like so fascinated by I this know. because the heart of play. So tell us again, those, the three aspects of true play. Right. So it has to be voluntary, voluntary. pleasurable, spontaneous, and non non goal directed. So really, like if we really stop and think about it, like a lot of the activities that parents sign kids up for, even if they're quote unquote playing a sport, it's not play. But there might be moments of true play in an organized sport. But really, what the kiddos are doing is they're taking lessons, right? And then they're and then they're competing. But it's not necessarily. Um, you know, it's not necessarily chosen by the child. Um, it's not spontaneous unless you're, you know, there's probably spontaneous moments, but it's certainly goal driven. I mean, you want to learn the skill and win the game. Um, and it's not necessarily pleasurable for all kids who are engaging in it. So I do think that it's really important to, in, to, ha- to make that distinction between participating in a sport, which is learning a skill and competing and pure open-ended, spontaneous, pleasurable play, the kind of play that springs up from like the dry well of boredom. Do you, right. you know what I mean? Like, yes. Yes, 100%. Yeah. I am a mama uh, yeah. of two, a five and a three-year-old, yeah. and we yeah. are still at the end of the, you know, COVID pandemic. So because we have, yeah. we have been so isolated. And so yes. I have seen some of the most beautiful play and so I can definitely see like when I have, and I also homeschool. So we, and yes. you know, with just our youngers, so much of what we do every day is play. I mean, we just are, are yes. learning in quotes. It's just, it's play. It's, it's yes. just play. It's yes. setting up an environment where they can play together, where they can ask questions, where they can learn, where they can, you know, explore who they are and how they interact with other people yes. and other things at different times of day. And I feel like as a mama, so much of what I do is just simply observe, like create an environment and then just let them uh, like just be. And so I see so, so many beautiful. wonderful things. And so that, that really, um, it, I think it's a really great thing for us as music therapists to think about too, yeah. in the work that yeah. we do and really yeah. any clinician who's listening and parents yes. who, yeah. and teacher, we have yeah. all of um, you that listen to the podcast. And so um, just thinking about what are these really basic play therapy um, and play aspects, just really thinking about the heart of it. So we know that it's not just for children. We know for it's older adults as well. Um, Do you work with families? And and what does that look like? Right. So I personally do not. So again, this is definitely something that exists in play therapy and is Mm -hmm. super cool, Um, but not my area of expertise. But there Mm -hmm. is something called family play therapy um, where where families play together. Um, And it's really, really cool. I've seen some videos and gone to trainings and listened to some speakers about it. very cool for families to be in a container where they have the opportunity to be spontaneous together. Um, and, or it might be more, um, it might be more of a directive activity, a playful activity that the therapist um, gives to the family to do to work on building skills like conflict resolution or teamwork um, or giving each other constructive feedback um, or for parents to practice setting healthy boundaries with their kids. Um, so yeah, family play therapy is definitely it's definitely a thing well the thing that I um, do have very personal professional experience with and do have some expertise on is something called child parent relationship therapy it's it's CPRT for short and the way that child parent relationship therapy works is that the the therapist does not work directly with the child the therapist works directly with the parent 
And it's a 10 session module that parents go through often in a group together with other parents. So they have peers. Um, and I like to think of it as parental colleagues. They have parental colleagues to go through this 10 nice. session learning experience with. Okay. And in these 10 sessions, what, what I do as the play therapist is I teach the parents the basic skills and theories and premises and philosophies and procedures of child-centered play therapy. And then rather than the play therapist doing the child-centered play therapy with the children, the parents for this 10-week session and hopefully beyond, they set aside once a week, 30 minutes to have a special play time with their child using the skills that we teach them. And they videotape it and then we get to watch their videos and, and give them feedback. And it's phenomenal because then not only does the child experience the magic and the healing and the growth that comes with child-centered play therapy, but the parents get in on the magic too. And they get to actually be the therapeutic conduit rather than a play therapist. Um, so it's yeah. super, super cool. Oh, and I can just think of like, that's just the heart. I mean, we want to hold space for individuals within the therapy session, but yes. also, and something I personally am so passionate about is getting those skills to parents to get them so that we're doing this more in the home. So we right. are, and that I think is just how we really support change in our world and, and just support that. I, I love this this growth of play again like we yes. just our our society is so directed and so yeah. you know rigid yes. and and just the and it's good I can only imagine it's good for the parents too to think because it's we know that it's so important for our brains to play and we're more creative we're better people we are healthier we're happier when we're playing and yes. so um yes. there are so many connections that I can see between play and just the hearts of play therapy and child center play mm -hmm. and the work that we do as music therapists and the work that I can imagine speech therapists and OTs and PTs and counselor other counselors yes. and uh, teachers and parents in the home so let's see what are some principal strategies and maybe some takeaways that like a variety yeah. of practitioners, educators, parents, and caregivers could take away from sure. the, the, do you see what I, like what I'm asking? What are some, some what things that we can, cause we're now totally in love with play therapy and we just think we, we now <laughs> see the heart of it and yeah. now we want to implement it. So how yeah. can we take our education and our yeah. expertise and our tools and really bring this magic into our sessions, into our home, into really even in our own lives? I love this question because I often think about this and reflect on this, but I think that pursuing, oh, it feels funny to even say career. It is a career, I have a career, but it's just, it's a pursuing this passion, pursuing this life work, um, and really learning everything I can, practicing it, refining it, all the things. Yeah. Um, is one of the most important components of my life. And, and I feel like um, my life's work, um, not only for those that I serve, but for myself, you know, learning and incorporating these principles. We all have an inner child, right? We all have a little inner child who, I have a little Kate who lives inside of me. Yes. And learning many of these principles have been so healing for me. Um, and then, you know, being able to use these principles in all of my relationships, in my parenting, in my marriage, in my friendships, in my, in the way that I'm a teacher, in the way that I'm a colleague, um, they're, some of the, the foundational principles of child-centered play therapy are the foundational principles of how I do life um, and strive to do life. And I think one of them is acceptance. And I do want to say, just because I realized I haven't said this, there are many different approaches to play therapy. Um, you know, in the counseling world, we call it theoretical orientations. I know theoretical orientations exist in the world of education too. Um, but I am very, I'm very, um, keyed into what is called child-centered play therapy. So that's my passion. That's my heartbeat. That's the kind of play therapy I teach and practice. And that means um, that the child is, is in the lead. Um, the therapist's job is to keep the child safe um, through, through setting boundaries um, and to accept the child and all those beautiful things. But really, 
the child is in the lead um, and we follow the child's lead. So I think that right there to me is such a beautiful component of this is recognizing that there are so many times in every single day where a child can be in leadership of themselves um, and even of those, you know, around them, um, trusting children, um, trusting their inherent kind of compasses, um, while at the same time maintaining boundaries to keep them very safe. Um, so recognizing children um, and their humanity and, and respecting their thoughts and their feelings as um, fully valid, as valid as ours. They have smaller bodies, but they do not have smaller feelings. They do not have smaller opinions. <laughs> you know, no. smaller, you know, yes, like little, you know, VIP spots of importance in the world. So um, that's a big one. Acceptance is huge. Um, it is necessary and not to, for therapists, and not to just act like we're doing this, but to find a way to truly fully accept the child in front of us at any given moment. And that even means accepting their behavior, accepting their feelings. Again, I'll keep mentioning boundaries because I think sometimes it sounds like a free-for-all, um, but we are experts. Um, Child-centered play therapists are experts on setting and maintaining boundaries and being consistent yeah. with that because um, that breeds such safety. So within that, within that, um, yeah, just accepting not needing the child to be any different than they are in the moment, right? Like not wishing that they were any different than they are in the moment. This full acceptance of whatever they might be doing, whatever they might be feeling, however they might behave. And it takes away so much anxiety because if you think about our self-talk and we think, oh no, are they going to do that thing again where they refuse to leave the room or oh no are they going to do that thing again where they dump the sand on the floor they might and that's okay because as a child-centered play therapist we know how to set a really good boundary and we can't control what choice they're going to make but we sure can accept their humanity and their little soul through the whole thing so i think acceptance yeah. is so true true acceptance and um gary landreth is a very famous child-centered play therapist and he said that children often don't change until they feel free not to change. So until they've experienced this radical acceptance of I really do accept you fully and completely despite or, you know, in addition to whatever it is you're struggling with. Sometimes that full acceptance is, is the healing. Um, so yeah, following the child's lead, acceptance is huge. Um, there's a fun one that Gary Landreth coined, um, focus on the donut, not the hole, right? Like focus on, like if you get a donut, there's a hole in the middle, right? right. <laughs> and you have two choices. You can be thrilled about the pastry that you did get that has this cute little hole in the middle, or you can be mad because there's a piece of your pastry missing, right? right? So which do we focus on? Do we focus on the donut or do we focus on the hole? And so mm -hmm. focusing on um, what, strengths, what strengths and attributes um, and beauty does the child possess um, mm -hmm. even while in the middle of struggling through something really hard and we know that what we focus on grows and so the more we focus on the strength the more aware they become of their strengths and those strengths grow and grow and grow yeah um, yeah i think another one if i can pop into one more in there please do yes Soaking it up over here <laughs> i know my i love this one and um yeah, I love this one. As a play therapist and a mom, um, and just um, in relationship with, with anybody, you know, if you're talking about healthy boundaries with anybody, um, returning responsibility. And so with children in play therapy, we always say, never do for a child that which they can do for themselves. Well, certainly there are some tasks that a child wishes that they can do that are unsafe or impossible developmentally. Mm -hmm. But if a child can do a task, we don't do it for them. We, when they ask us for help, we return the responsibility back to them mm -hmm. um, by saying something like, gosh, that seems like something you can do. Or in here, that's something you can try. Or how about we do it together and you show me how I can help you. You show me what we need to do first. Mm -hmm. 
jump in and do for somebody else, the message that our behavior is sending is that we don't believe in them and that they're not capable. And when we let a child try to do for themselves, even if they fumble, even if it takes 90 minutes where it would take us 30 seconds, um, they have the experience of um, doing it or at least trying to do it. Or even if they fail at the task, they know that I believed in their ability to try. And that's yeah. really, really important, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Those are so wonderful. And I'm just like soaking them up there. Kate, you are just a wealth of knowledge. And <laughs> uh, I, I'm so excited that we get to have you share all of this for our listeners because it's just such a wealth. I'm excited to hear it um, in even more in depth. So you have spoken a lot about boundaries. So are there things, and I know you and I have talked about this too in the past, um, but are there some like helpful hints or examples that those that are listening could, because we know that how important it is to set those boundaries. And mm-hmm. I love how you said play therapist, center, child-centered play therapists are experts at setting boundaries. <laughs> and are really good at it. I love that. So do you have any like helpful hints that are, that would be like appropriate for us to know? Yeah. And I'm so grateful that I got the chance to say that because I do think particularly when I explain child-centered play therapy, that we follow the child's lead, the child gets to mm-hmm. decide. I mean, it just sounds like this, like, free-for-all, right? (laughs) It sounds like sheer chaos. And the reality (laughs) is that the the very reason that it's healing is that it's absolutely not that. So what we do is we create a container, right? So I've used that word a few times, but I love that image. So the playroom, and we have two containers. The playroom is a container and our relationship is a container. And within the, within the parameters of those containers, the child can do almost anything they want to do with almost anything they see. And if it's not okay with us, we'll let them know. In fact, that's how we open child-centered play sessions. Um, even on the very first day, we say, this is your special playtime. You can do almost anything you want with almost everything you see. And if it's not okay with me, I'll let you know. Um, and so we, and we say that every single time, so we don't set boundaries until they need to be set. And, but we set a boundary every time it needs to be set. Mm, So it makes sense. So we don't set it until it needs to be set, but we set it every time it needs to be set. And we set the same boundary using the same language, um, so that children know that we're capable of doing that. And in reality, what that communicates to them is that we're capable of keeping them safe. Mm-hmm. So we set a boundary. Um, if a child um, is, we set safety boundaries. So children cannot hurt themselves. They cannot hurt the toys on purpose. They cannot hurt the room. And they cannot hurt the child's and play therapist. Um, and then we also set boundaries around um time they need to know that when playtime is over playtime is really over um and that's another thing we mean what we say and we say what we mean um so i think that the most important thing you know in terms of boundaries is just is that consistency you know like we children should not have to deal with the anxiety of playing guessing games around am i going to get away with it this time because some once i did and once i did it and what will happen right. this time? That's too much anxiety for a child, yeah. right? So that consistency, what will always be okay and what will never be okay. And we need to know whether this is our classroom or this is our home, we need to be clear on what will always be okay and what will never be okay. And we need to be clear on it before we're able to communicate it to children. And then we need to communicate it consistently. Um, and then the other thing I said, this is this is a skill that we practice for, for a long, 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 long time in play therapy trainings and throughout our career. But when we're setting boundaries, we use something called the ACT model. Um, and I'll just say it super fast. Um, but we you ACT stands for acknowledge and then communicate the limit and then target alternatives. So ACT. So when we're setting a boundary, unless it's an emergency and we need to jump in and protect um, somebody's body, 
um, the first thing that we do is acknowledge with full acceptance what the child is feeling, what they're wishing for, what they're trying to do, what their experience is. We always want to acknowledge it first with acceptance. And then communicate the target. We need to let them know what the limit is. And then we target an alternative. So one of my favorite examples to use is, um, I know you really want to jump on the couch. That sounds like so much fun. But the couch is not for jumping. You could jump on the trampoline. Or if a kid's really mad, you could say, you're really mad. I know you're really mad at me. And that's okay. But I'm not for calling mean names. If you need to say mean names, you may say them to your stuffed animal um, or, or whatever works, whatever works for you. But I think it's really important to acknowledge their experience. And then of course set the limit, but also give them an alternative, right? Like what can yeah. they do instead? Yeah. An option. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know that I have used that um, ACT, and you shared that with me um, yeah. years ago. Yes. I have used that and yes. with my own children, with my own self, and yeah. like just individuals that I, you know, work with and, and yes. are friends with. Yeah. Like, it's really I, helpful. Yeah. Yes, I know. I've used it in all those settings, too. And it's so helpful. It's so respectful. I feel like it's yeah. respectful of ourselves for setting the boundary, and it's respectful of the human. I was smiling there because my sister and I took our children on an outing yesterday, and we were all in, in her van, and I overheard one of her daughters, so my niece, say to her brother, I'm not for shopping. And I thought, wow, listen to that language, you know, like instead of shoving back or instead of saying, stop it and calling him a name or, or even, you know, um, asking for help from mom right away. She simply said with so much assertion, I'm not for shoving. And that's true. Nobody's for shoving. Right. Right. Oh, it's just so beautiful when you see those little tidbits um, of that, like, over and over and over yeah. and you know with children it's like you yes. just have to create and create that boundary and communicate it before yes. then you see the fruit of your labor later uh, on it'll just be like in the middle of nowhere totally. and you're just like oh my goodness totally. that's exactly the words I'm so proud of you for saying that and for I know, communicating I it so clearly yeah and for respecting yourself and respecting your brother oh I'm so proud like that's just an incredible I moment I know I know totally and I think those yeah. are really important things for parents and educators I mean every all, all clinicians to to know so thank you so much for sharing that you know I have one last question for you but before we get to that do you yes. have um any anything else that we haven't talked about about play therapy about what that you'd like to share with us oh you well speaking of containers you created such a welcoming container for me to talk about my joy and my passion um so i i have loved every minute i think you know when you ask me if there's anything else um my favorite quote just jumps to my mind and actually you know i can i could picture it because when i say it you'll understand, but I obviously have little pictures and symbols attached to this quote in my mind. Um, But again, by Gary Landreth, one of his quotes is, um, birds fly, fish swim, children play. And I love that because it's just so natural. That's what they do. Birds fly, fish swim, and children play. Um, So, you know, it's sort of like, gosh, we would never clip a bird's wings or, you know, take a fish out of water so they couldn't do that which they were born to do. And um, so I, I feel the same way about protecting children's time and space and opportunity to play. Mm. I just love that so much, Kate. It's just, and yeah. I, I love like looking back on just, you know, your beautiful childhood but also yeah. all that you went through in your childhood and how now yes. you are, you have taken that and it has guided you to this place to where you're now yeah. sharing it with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people right now. And, um, and for all the world, you know, if they mm-hmm. want to listen. And so I just think there's just so much, um, I just love the connection. I love the connection. I love the heart that just goes through it. And my very last question yeah. is about music because I see so many connections and collaborations between Mm. 
the heart of play i know and we're gonna have to do like less one on this the heart of play and music therapy and so much of what we do as music therapists is play yeah. i mean it's just creating yes. an environment, creating a container where individuals can come and play and we're seeing so yeah. many maybe just see so many great benefits of that um mm. but i'm interested does music make an appearance in play therapy sessions mm-hmm. even from a non-music therapist and so I just the reason I asked that is because obviously I'm interested as a music therapist but also there are yes. people who listen that are not music therapists and are but also know music is so yes. effective and so how uh, could they like I'm just interested to, right. to see yeah. if, it, if it plays a role yeah, okay Oh my gosh, for sure. So um, again, for my my child-centered orientation, if you're a child-centered play therapist, there are certain categories of toys that are ideal to have in a playroom. Um, And one of those categories is musical instruments. And I know, yes, exactly. So musical instruments with no intention of obviously teaching a child how to play, Um, or, you know, a child, you know, learning how to play correctly, but they're simply there in the playroom among the other toys as a choice. Um, And they're a phenomenal way to express themselves. I mean, I am preaching to the choir here, for (laughs) sure. Um, But, you know, in that that very open-ended play setting, um, children seem to just you know, use them as their words. Um, I have a supervisee who has a very verbally quiet child um, in the playroom, but um, recently was banging away on the xylophone with everything they had. Um, yes. So yeah, they are musical instruments are presented essentially as toys, which are presented as words that child can choose um, to use um, when they're, mm-hmm. they're telling their story or, you know. Yes. To, you know Okay, yeah. And then um, with teens, music can be a really cool thing to use, bringing in teens' preferences around mm-hmm. their music. They can share playlists with the play therapist. They can create a playlist around a certain theme, um, they, you know, things like that. So that's a different application, mm-hmm. but definitely in the range of play therapy, too. Mm-hmm. Well, because it's just one of our languages, so that totally makes sense. It is. And ancient, right? Like, here we go. We can go down the rabbit hole, but play and music are ancient. Like, our our brainstems carry this historical information about how to play and how to make music and um, art, too. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yes, all of those expressive arts. Yes. Oh, this has been so healing. Same. Um enlightening i'm like ready to go learn so much more about play therapy so um everyone all of the links um any quotes or anything i'll pull those from our conversation and we'll get links to um maybe even a little fact sheet on act maybe yeah absolutely i can provide that for sure awesome So we will have all of that, and I really look forward to hearing some of the comments from the listeners, and um, I just, I I really hope that this was as helpful for everyone else as it was for me, and (laughs) Kate, it has just been an absolute pleasure and joy to have you here. Thank you so much. Same. The feeling is mutual, mutual beyond. And I would like to say as a closing comment, thank you yes. to everyone who listened. Um, if, if, you know, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I need to bring more play into my life, my marriage, my family, my interactions with my children, don't overwhelm yourself and start small, like five minutes a day five minutes a day, right? And then maybe next month, 10 minutes a day. Maybe next month, 30 months a day, or 30 minutes a day. So anyway, mm-hmm. um, yeah, have fun playing. <laughs> oh, that's such a great, great um, encouragement because we just know that starting small is just how we really learn all of those habits. And it's so much yeah. of a mindset that mm-hmm. I've gathered is mm-hmm. and, and getting opportunities. And the best thing is there's like, hundreds of opportunities every day to practice absolutely Uh, and there's no way to do it wrong yeah oh that's so beautiful so start simple and remember that it's no there's no way to do it wrong so very similar to how we say in the music session we say there are no wrong notes (laughs) oh i love that i love that yes that's perfect well kate thank you again so much and we will see you 
hopefully again for another podcast. I would love that. Sign me up. Thank (laughs) you so much. Bye-bye. Y'all, what did I tell you? Such a fount of knowledge and wisdom. And I hope from this conversation you feel inspired and equipped to go out and use the heart and the strategies and principles of play in your home, in your classroom, in your clinic, wherever is appropriate for you. Until next time, friends, thank you for the work you do and all the places you do it. Bye-bye. For show notes and resources in today's episode and all episodes, head to our website, musictherapyandbeyond.com. Reach out to us at musictherapyandbeyond at gmail.com and follow us on social media to stay up to date on all the content and announcements. We'll see you next time.